Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Amen. And when you do that, you can find your seat, but don't be seated just yet. We're going to go straight into the Word of God this morning. Amen. Amen. We happy to be in the house of God this morning? Amen. I'm, I'm going to need y'all's help. I know, I know we got a lot of people that are sick. I know we've got some people that are out of town. And I know that we got some people that are just, we're just going to say it like it is. They're afraid of the rain. <laughs> but praise God, you are here. God has a word for you this morning. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And I want you to get ready for this word this morning because God really spoke this over me and I want to preach it to you this morning. Amen. When preachers don't preach for uh, uh, two weeks, it, it does something in them. And I, I didn't, Pastor Brandon preached last week, um, so I'm, I'm ready. But if you have it, give me a nice amen. We're beginning with verse 14. We're going through 25. It's the Apostle Paul. It's a very familiar passage and it says, So I'm reading from the NLT this morning. The the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. And I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will set me free from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a sin, a slave to sin. Let's go to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word that you've spoken over your servant, my God. I pray that I would just preach it, my God, the way that you preached it to me, Father God. I pray that you would be on my lips, Holy Spirit, that you would bring a conviction, my God, a correction this morning, Father God. I pray, Father God, that we would open up our hearts to receive your word, Lord, with meekness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. The title of my sermon is very simple. It's called There is Freedom. Now, I, I, I wanted to change it. I wanted to change it because we're going to talk about freedom in light of what Scripture says um, and, and, and how we are not only set free, but how we stay free. Um, and so by the end of the, my sermon preparation, I wanted to call it Freedom Formula. I had a different name in mind, but I had already asked Joel for the slide. And so... 
there is freedom is, is what we're going to stick with. Um, but I've, I've had this word, church, in my spirit for the past few weeks. You know, there's been a lot of debate. There's been a lot of debate since, I mean, we're talking hundreds of years. But also recently about the nature of Christian freedom. What is it? What, what does that mean? Can Christian, there's always that question, can Christians be possessed by demons? Uh, can, can Christians, is it, is, it, is it demon oppression? Is it demonized? And there's all these different types of terms that you hear on the topic. Do Christians still need freedom if Jesus said who the sun sets free is free indeed? And if you abide in my word, the truth will set you free. And so we can't cover all of this in one sermon but I'm going to do my best to explain what I believe uh, scripture teaches on this. Because listen, people are needing freedom. People are needing deliverance. And I will tell you from the start, I believe that Christians still need freedom from certain things. Now, so, so, so then what does it mean that we're free in Christ if we're still struggling with sin? Um, first of all, I, I, want to, I want to kind of dive into this text real quick. Is it okay if I just start off? teachy a little bit. Let me just teach a little bit and then we'll, then we'll preach that Pentecostal fire, all that stuff. Romans seven, this passage that we just read. Um, it is one of the most debated passages of scripture among Bible scholars. And you might not know that it's debated because when you read it, you just, a lot of times we, we already, we approach the text with already an assumption of what, uh, of what we think it means. Um, and so there's, there's two major debates on, on this text that we just read. And it's, it's on whether or not Paul was talking about a pre-converted version of himself or a post-converted version of himself. Is Paul talking about a believer or is he talking about an unbeliever? If you, if you have two commentaries side by side, and I have, I have several commentaries, chances are you're going to find that commentators disagree on this passage. There's going to be those who say that Paul was talking about an unbeliever. And they'll say, we don't call believers slaves to sin. But that's the language that Paul is using here. Therefore, he must be talking about a non-Christian. They would say, how is it that sin still lives in a person if he is a believer? Once you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters you. There's no place for sin anymore. They would also point to the fact that that Paul was a devout Jew, right? And so he was probably talking about a pre-converted version of himself who tried his best to obey the law of God. But because man is incapable of obeying the law of God, Paul was talking about the time that he lived before Jesus. All very good points. And if anybody holds to this interpretation, they have reason Now, those who say that Paul was talking about a believer, and first of all, can I say that I think most of us hope that he was talking about a believer, because if Paul is a believer and still struggling with sin, well, then we can relate to that. So we're like, amen, brother Paul. Thank you for sharing your vulnerability, because I I, I struggle with that as well. So I think most of us hope that he's talking about a believer. And, and, And the people on this side of the debate... They, they will say that Paul has spent most of the opening chapters of Romans talking about how unbelievers hate the law of God. 
They don't love the law of God. They hate the law of God. And yet in chapter 7, this person loves the law of God with all his heart. Therefore, this person must be somebody who loves uh, the law of God, but in his flesh, he constantly falls short of the glory of God. They would also point to the, are you still with me? Okay. They would also point to the reality that sin is still something that Christians battle with. Who can testify to that? Amen. We, we battle daily against evil. Galatian has to tell us to walk according uh, to the spirit, not, not to gratify the desires of the flesh because we are in the flesh. And so we have to intentionally and consciously walk with the spirit so that we don't gratify the desires of our flesh. Also, in 1 John 1, 8, it says, if we say that we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Therefore, Paul is talking about the person who has already come to Christ but still struggles with their flesh. Great points again. So in a class, I would have just given those points out and, and left it there. Let you decide. But I'm going to tell you what I, what I hold to. I, I believe this latter interpretation is correct. Um, and I will admit that I have gone back and forth once or twice but I usually end up with this interpretation of the text. And, and what really does the trick for me is verse 23. I wanna, I'm going to read verse 23 one more time. I'm going to read it in the ESV. It's a little bit more accurate. It says, but I see in myself members, that's his flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. The key word for me is another. So this suggests that Yes, the love of God is in me. Yes, the fear of God is in me. Yes, the Holy Spirit leads me. But there is still another law waging war against all that I know to be true, all that I know to be holy, and all that I know to be pure. And that's called the law of sin. And so this is why people are in the church, and I'm not just talking about in the church building. I'm talking about in the body of Christ. There's people in the body of Christ who still struggle with sin. In your weak moments of flesh, when your flesh is triggered, you will react in the flesh. Yes or no? If you don't allow the Holy Spirit to take, to, to take authority, to take first position in your life, if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to calm you down, your default is the flesh. And Paul even says it. He says, for I am all too human. I don't care how holy you are. You are not more spirit than you are human. I ain't getting any amens today. Can I tell you that God created you in flesh? He put his spirit in you. You have a spirit and praise the Lord. Your spirit is revived. But while you remain on this world, you have a very earthly, corrupt body that will get angry, that will get hangry, that will get sleepy, that will get frustrated, that will get sick, that will get tired, that will get impatient and irritable and prideful and selfish and jealous. You live in this body, and as long as you live in it, there will always be something in your flesh that desires to sin. And this is why the body will go to the grave, but the spirit will join God in heaven. But you know what I think is so powerful? Just kind of a side note. See, when Jesus came, he didn't come just for your spirit. 
You didn't get that. My God is so powerful that when he came, he came for everything. He came for the whole thing. The Bible says that Jesus, when Jesus returns, there will be a resurrection of physical bodies that will rise from the grave and they will be caught up in the sky with Jesus where once again, spirit will be combined with the body the way that it was supposed to be when God created man. This is why Paul says, who will deliver me? From this body of death, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. When my God came, he came for the whole thing. And one day we're going to have resurrected, renewed, glorified bodies. It's going to be beautiful. And maybe that pancita won't be there anymore, right? Come on. (laughs) But right now, while sin still reigns in this world, it also lives in our mortal bodies. So... To conclude, not to conclude the sermon, to conclude my intro. This person that Paul is describing is a Christian. They love God. They they love the law of God. They desire to do what is right and they grieve when they disappoint God. How many of us hate it when we disappoint God? I grieve when I grieve the spirit. And I don't do it because... My spirit is dead. I do it because there's moments where I'm in the flesh and my flesh always craves sin. And and so in my weak moments where I don't allow the Holy Spirit to take control or I refuse to be held accountable by by church, by, by my fellow Christians, people that are there to help me and guide me and, and edify me. I will probably feed my flesh what it wants, even though deep in my spirit, it is the last thing I want. That's what Paul is saying. There is a constant battle between flesh and spirit where we have to choose the spirit to be victorious. So now let me get to the the heart of the issue here. Okay, we've established that Paul is talking about a Christian who has been set free in Jesus, but still struggles with sin because we continue to live as carnal humans. So so what does it mean for for the Christian? A Christian is free in the sense that when you come to Christ, the grip of sin, which is the power of death, is no more. I I am free from the bondage of sin that ultimately leads to death. Hell no longer has ownership of my life. When we come to Jesus, we we can rightly sing that song, hell lost another one, I am free, right? Because, because of the blood of Jesus, if you are in Christ, if you have given him lordship of your life, your spirit doesn't belong to, to sin. It belongs to God. That power that is in you, church, is greater than the power that is in this world. And so all the sins that I've ever committed, they don't stack up against the grace of God. All of your flaws, all of your imperfections are covered by the blood of Jesus. If you have turned from your life of sin and you have given yourself to Jesus, you are free. You are free because Jesus paid the debt that you owed. All you have to do is have faith in him and accept the gift of grace that is freely given. People always ask me that question. How do I know that I'm really set free from hell after I came to Christ? And, and, and I understand why you're asking the question because nobody wants to go to hell. But you have to understand the power of grace is, is really powerful. It's not just kind of powerful. It's very powerful. 
It eliminates the grip of, of, of sin. So I, the, the way I always explain it uh, to people is like this. Think of sin uh, before Jesus, before you receive Jesus. Think of sin as a venomous snake. Once that snake bites you, it's got you. It has you. Once it bites you, the venom begins to, to, to get into your system, into your blood system, and eventually it will kill you. Now, when Jesus came, he didn't remove the snake, but he made its bite less effective. He took the venom. He took the power of that bite away for all those who come to Jesus. The snake is still there. And you will get bit from time to time. But where there is true repentance, that venom has lost all of its power. Sin remains. Listen, sin remains. But where there is repentance, there is that power that stands over death. And it requires repentance. Someone say that word with me this morning. Repentance. So th- this is that first of the three um, in, that, in that freedom formula I want to give you. Can you go to that next slide? Um, Will or whoever is back there. William. Can you go to that next slide, Pro? Amen. We'll get there eventually. We'll get there. Repentance. I said last week, church, freedom begins with repentance. And repentance, what is Repentance. Repentance isn't just, God, I'm sorry. It's not, it's not apologizing to God. God doesn't need your apologies, but he requires your repentance. If I'm constantly failing my wife and I'm always just going back to her with I'm sorry's, that's not repentance. And, and I think we have made so light of that word, Repentance. That we think, okay, I repented, I'm good. And we say the sinner's prayer. Lord, I repent of my sins. It's, it's more than a confession. Repentance is, is, is the, it's the Greek word metanoel. Metanoel means to, uh, it, it doesn't indicate apologizing. It indicates a turning away from. You are turning away from what has held you captive. When you repent, you have to leave something behind And not turn back, like Pastor Brandon preached last week. Once you repent, you're choosing Jesus, and you are leaving behind the things that have, that has brought power of death to your spirit. And so when you do that, the resurrected power of Jesus will set you free. And so, so listen, we are free from death. Amen? Anybody free from death? Anybody in here going to hell? (laughs) Yeah, put your hands down real fast. I ain't going to hell. I am free from hell. I am, I, I'm, I'm saved by grace. I, one day I'm going to meet Jesus face to face. Praise the Lord. I don't have to fear the devil. I don't have to fear death. I can walk through it and get to the other side because of Jesus. My soul has been spoken for. I am free in Jesus' name. But I, I want to go a little bit further. Because we still have to deal with the issue of sin while we're here. We still got the snake, right? It might not have the venom any, anymore, but, but if it bites you enough times, if you let it bite you enough times, if you keep the snake too close, 
and, and take, it, uh, take for granted the fact that the venom is no more, it will kill you a different way. If you become numb to sin, if you become numb and you just take God's grace for granted, if you, if you hang out and cuddle up with sin for too long because you're like, well, it's not harmful. I already repented. No, you got another thing coming. Some Christians still face daily battles with sin and we lose. And so what if we applied this principle of repentance that leads to salvation to our daily struggles with sin? I really want you to get this. So I'm going to say it again. I, I, didn't, I didn't know how best I didn't know the best way to to phrase that. But but I want to say it again so that you get it. What if we applied the principle of repentance that leads to salvation to our daily struggles with sin? Because some of us have not repented of everything. You've not given Jesus everything. And this is why you still feel slave to certain things. It would be silly of us to think that when we come to Christ, we we come in full maturity. No. When we walk with God, the more that we spend time with the Holy Spirit, he exposes more darkness in us that we never even knew that we had. And you can only get there the more time you spend with him. David David was a man after God's own heart. And he even tells God, Lord, search my heart. Search what I don't know is in there and, and expose it because I don't want it. So after we come to Christ, we are still a work in progress. We are still being sanctified. We're saved from hell, but, but we're still a work in progress. The thing is, as soon as these things are exposed, we have to turn from it. Come on. Did you hear what I said? As soon as you realize there is a problem, you got to turn from it. As soon as you're walking on that path with God, the Bible says that he is the light. Jesus is the light. Those who dwell in the light will no longer dwell in darkness. When, you, when you're walking on that path of light and you see something in you that you didn't see before, you, got, you can't pick it up and keep it with you. You got to turn from it. You got to repent from it. And the thing is, we don't always, we don't always do that. We, we keep certain sins or weaknesses in our pocket. We know, we know that we have it. But we refuse to deal with it. I believe that there are some Christians that still struggle with sin even after knowing about it because you, you just you, we keep it around like a pet. And maybe it's so easy to keep it because no one else knows about it. It's not harmful to anyone else. Maybe it's porn. Maybe it's a secret relationship that you shouldn't be having. Maybe it's an affair that you've covered up. Maybe it's a gambling problem. Maybe it's a drug issue. Maybe maybe there's a deep hatred in you. Maybe there's a deep bitterness in you. And you're you're ashamed of it. So you don't let it out in public, but it still binds you because you haven't repented from it. If if you hold on to these things for too long, you are playing with fire. The Bible says that we cannot go on sinning as in perpetual sin. Once you've come to Jesus, you're going to have moments of weakness. You're going to have moments where you stumble. But a life of perpetual sin cannot coexist with a new creation. And so maybe you're ashamed of your sin, but you haven't turned from it yet. 
Can I tell you that shame isn't enough? Shame doesn't do anything on its own. Judas was shamed, ashamed of what he did. The Bible says that he regretted what he did. But instead of letting that grief lead to repentance, he let it lead to his own death. Shame is not enough. You will die with your shame and it will not lead you to Jesus. Don't keep it too long. So there's people in the church that wonder, well, why, I, why haven't I been set free from, from porn? And, and, and why haven't I been set free from my pride? And why am I still dealing with jealousy? It could be because you just haven't turned from it. And listen, I, I know that it's not that easy, but it really is that simple, if that makes sense. Repentance is a lot harder than we realize, right? Because again, we're, we're, we're not talking about just saying, I'm sorry. It's easy to apologize. It's easy to apologize. Layla apologizes all the time for the same stuff that she does. And we get after her. We're like, it's always, I'm sorry with you. I don't want you to be sorry. I want you not to do it. That's what matters. Because if you're always just hiding behind an I'm sorry, you're always going to keep the thing around. God, God will not take something from you that you're not willing to let go of. And how many times do Christians pray that, God, God just take this from me, take it from me. But you, you, your grip is so tight. God's like, let it go first. I'll take it from you. I will set you free. But you got to let it go. Let me give you an example. If all I do is worry. Any worry words in the house? If all I do is worry, and look, some worry is, is, is okay, okay? Let's say that. Like, worry is a defense mechanism. Sometimes it, it makes you alert. But there is a worry that leads to fear. There is a worry that leads to anxiety and doubt. And if all I do is worry, and I let that worry affect my faith, what do I need? I need repentance. And it's not saying, God, I'm sorry I worried. It's saying, God, I'm going to stop worrying. You see the difference? You see how one has much more power? Now that you think of repentance like that, it's a lot harder for some people to repent because you're making a commitment. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to repent. But how can I stop worrying if it's so natural to me to worry? That's Paul's dilemma. In my flesh, I want to worry. I live in my flesh, so I worry. That's his dilemma. At the beginning of the year, I mean, I've, I've shared this already with, with a few of you. There was a lot of things that I was worried about. I was, I, was, I was in a season of worry. Some things going on and just kind of a tough few months. And I reached out to some guys, asked for prayer. But I was stressed. I was stressed. And it was effect. I lost all my hair, right? <laughs> I, and, it was affecting my days, man. It was affecting my happiness. It was affecting my joy. It was affecting my focus. I was distracted. And I remember one day, it was, it was a late February day. I was at home by myself. I was praying. I was upstairs in my, in my home office. I was laid out on the floor, face planted to the ground. And you know what I said to God? I said, God, I'm going to stop worrying. I said, this, is, this isn't good for me. 
This isn't good for my family. This is not good for my spirits. It's not good for my ministry. I am going to stop worrying. And, and, and you know what I realized? That was the very first time that I had ever prayed that prayer. Before that, it was always like, I need to stop worrying. God, I know that I need to stop worrying. God, I know that I need to trust you more in in these situations. God, I know that my faith needs to increase. Lord, I know that I need to stop worrying. It was always like a pep talk to myself. But it wasn't repentance. And so on that day, I remember saying, God, enough talk. I repent of my worry. I turn from my worry. And I have been worry-free for about two months. And... You know what's so powerful, though? Like any time that worry wants to creep back in, because there's still plenty to worry about. I am reminded of that late February day where I was planted face first in the ground. And I said, Lord, I am going to stop worrying. So every time worry wants to come back, I'm reminded of that prayer. And it keeps me accountable. I told my, I made a commitment to my God. I made a promise to my God that I have, re- I have repented. I have turned away from this. I'm not going to let worry get into my spirit. People want deliverance without repentance. Doesn't work like that. You have to turn from it first. Okay, you still with me? Okay, I want to go a little bit further. There's still more that we can say. I want you to go with me real quick to another one of Paul's letters, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 1. It says, it says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you, what does that say? Stay free. One more time, one more time. So Christ has truly set us free. Paul is saying, Christ set us free. Now you make sure you stay free. He's putting the responsibility on you. And he says, don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. I want to go down to verse 16. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. This sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what Scripture uh, spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two are forces constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. See what he's saying, man? But, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, and, and all of these other things, right? Okay, let's go to, uh, <laughs> so that's a lot that he mentions. I want to go to, to, to 24. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his Christ, uh, to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Hmm. Right there in verse 22, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So again, Paul is saying that Christians can still be subject to the desires of their flesh because we live in the flesh. So we have to intentionally walk by the Spirit. If we don't walk by the Spirit, the default is our flesh. 
If you don't wake up with the Holy Spirit, you're going to wake up in the flesh. You're going to wake up moody. You're going to wake up hangry. You got, you got to begin your, your, your day with prayer. You got to end your day with prayer because you don't want to go to sleep angry. You don't want to go to sleep frustrated. You don't want to go to sleep troubled. You're still with me, right? Okay. There's, there's this little nugget in here that I think we hardly ever talk about. And it's so underrated, but it's so crucial to remaining free. And that's self-control. Someone say that one with me. Self-control. So we got repentance. Now we need self-control. I often encounter people who think that what they need is freedom. And they're praying for freedom when they need to be praying for self-control. And, and, and I want to tell somebody today that, that if, you, if you've already come to Jesus and you've repented of your sins, you've repented of your ways, and you've given everything to Jesus, you are free. Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, yes, there are people who have deep strongholds. 100%. There are people who are being attacked by spiritual entities. 100%. I've spoken about this plenty of times. But this is not everybody. This is not You hearing me, Pentecostal church? Because I know Pentecostal and charismatic churches like to chalk everything up to a demonic force. Sometimes we got to take some responsibility for ourselves. It wasn't a demon. It wasn't the devil that made Adam and Eve fall into their uh, their sin. It was their lack of self-control. If you, I mean, if you've already been delivered, that demon has been cast out. If you've already been set free and you still go back to those things that you were free from, that's the lack of self-control. Not everybody's got a demon. Not everybody has a stronghold. Some people just have problems. And the problem is you. Problems are your lack of self-control. You haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to give you That fruit, because you're not spending time with the Holy Spirit. And if you're not spending time with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're not producing the fruit of the Spirit, you're never going to have self-control. You're always going to lack control, and you're always going to go back to the things that you were freed from. Think think of it like this. Think if, If someone pays off all of your debt, what does that make you? Debt free. And this is essentially what Jesus did for us. He paid all of the debt that no one on earth could ever repay. He paid it with the price of his blood. He took it. No one else could do it. And now, because of Jesus, we owe nothing. Now, if someone pays off all of your credit card debt, all of your medical debt, personal loans, student loans, even down to your mortgage, you are debt-free. Now, just because you're debt-free doesn't mean you're guaranteed to stay debt-free. Now begins the discipline of not overspending because you're going to see a lot of extra money in your bank account because you don't got those bills anymore, right? And so you might get comfortable and you might begin to spend a little bit more uh, and spend a little bit more and then soon you're spending like a, like a teenage girl with a credit card, right? And you are, you are out of control and you begin to rack up that debt again. Now at that point, you can't blame the debt because the debt had already been paid. You might have been crippled by the debt when you were in it, but you had the responsibility to stay away from those bad habits that got you into the debt in the first place. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is, this is, are you with me? Okay. 
He says, be transformed. He says it in the same letter to the Romans. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to renew your mind. You have to change your mind. You have to repent from old mindsets. This is, this is why poor people, when they win the lottery, they lose it all within a few years because they hadn't changed their mindset. They took a poor mindset into a rich lifestyle. We've got Christians who take a worldly mindset into a Christian lifestyle. That is not sustainable. You can't take the same mentality that you had in the world until your relationship with God is not sustainable. You are eventually going to go back to the things that you were freed from because you failed to change your mind. There's plenty of people who are looking for freedom when what they need is self-control. Repent. Yes, turn from your ways. And then make sure that you are walking with the Spirit daily because it is the Holy Spirit who will give you self-control. And when you are walking with the Holy Spirit, self-control will tell you, don't open that door. It will tell you, don't say that thing. I know you want to. Don't say, hold your tongue. Don't send that text message. Don't, don't slide into that DM. Don't put on that movie. That's self-control. And when we lack self-control, there are no boundaries. And when there's no boundaries, it's only a matter of time before you end up in a place of sin. There was a time where I used to have the best discipline when it came to what I ate. Not anymore. But there was a day where I, I was able to say no to bread and dessert and no soda and no fries and no burgers and no chips and no fun, right? It was, it was horrible. <laughs> now I'm free. <laughs> but this is, I mean, and I hate it, man. Like, I'm, I'm like, man, I, I wish I could go back to that level of control that I had over my body. When you lose control, you end up losing. When you can't control your budget, you blow it. When you can't control your emotions, you blow things out of proportion. When you can't control your desires, you give in. Self-control given by the Holy Spirit is one of those things that keeps us free. Now, there's one, one more thing that I want to talk about real quick. We've talked about repentance to set you free. We've talked about self-control to keep you free. There's one more that I, I believe that we always need to incorporate. Paul uses this word four times in regards to temptation or sin. It's, it's the Greek word fugo. It means to flee. Someone say flee. Paul says flee from sexual morality. He says flee from idolatry. He says, he tells Timothy to flee from the desires of the rich. He says flee youthful passions to pursue righteousness. Paul tells uh, the Corinthians, he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also always provide the way of escape that you may endure. Meaning once you find the way of escape, run away. Don't hang out there. Don't linger. Once you find the way out, flee. We know, we know Joseph fleed Potiphar's wife. When she tried to seduce him, she said, hey, baby. And he said, no, baby. And he ran out the door. Many times, church, listen, I want you to get this. Many times 
We don't go looking for sin. Sin comes looking for us. And, and so when sin comes looking for us, this might not be a thing that we can fix with self-control. See, self-control is you not opening the door. It's you not going into that bar to have a few drinks. For, for Joseph, it, it would have been Joseph not going next to uh, Potiphar into her room. That is self-control. But sometimes sin goes looking for you. And if sin comes knocking at your door, you don't sit there trying to assess the situation and like, how can I control the situation? No, you run from it. You flee from it. Realize that when the devil comes looking for you, it is because you are a slave that got away and he wants you back in chains. He wants you back in your addictions. He wants you back thinking that you're not good enough for the grace of God. He wants you back in, in, in your drug addictions and your insecurity. That's why he goes to look for you. The Bible says that he is a prowling lion. And so sometimes sin is going to wind up at your doorstep looking for you, knocking at your door. But the only reason that you're even able to flee is because you're already free. You didn't get that. You didn't get. See, some of us, we don't flee. We don't flee. We, we, we just stay there. But you don't realize that when you were a slave to sin, you had chains on your feet. You couldn't run away then. Now, because you came to Jesus, you have been set free. You can actually run away. You have to use them legs, man of God. Use those legs, woman of God. Because Jesus has set you free. And so you have the power to flee. The devil is after your freedom. He's after the freedom of those in Christ, and he's trying to convince us that we're still bound by sin. And so many of us have convinced ourselves that we are whom the sun sets free. It's free indeed. Can I, can I get the, the worship team? Church, guard your freedom, man. Guard your freedom. I think the hardest part about fleeing from something is that sometimes you have to, you have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. We've heard that phrase, right, before? Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. It, it, it means that the bathwater might be bad, but don't throw out the baby. But what I'm saying is, 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 is sometimes the cute baby's got to go too. That's what I'm saying. Because... And I think this is the reason that we don't flee. Because we don't want to throw out the whole thing. But you have to throw out the whole thing. What am, what am I saying? Fleeing from alcoholism might also mean fleeing from friends that you love and care about. You got to throw out the baby too. Fleeing from sexual morality might mean saying no to your girlfriend who you love, who you hope to marry one day. You got to say no to that cute baby. Fleeing from your anger might be fleeing from family members that provoke you to anger. And they want to invite you over for Thanksgiving or Christmas. But you know in your spirit that every time you get with those people, they stir up an anger inside of you. It's okay to say no. You're not saying no to them. You're saying no to the anger. But because they're the ones who provoke you, you have to say no to them as well. 
And because we don't like to throw out the baby with the bathwater, we, we just sometimes we don't flee. But when you don't flee, when you don't flee, you stick around and you play with the fire that can overtake you. And I want to tell you this morning that you have the freedom to flee. All of us, all of us in this room, we, 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 we deal, we still deal with sin. And many times we fail to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit who is able to break every chain. We sing about it. We, I mean, we sing, we, we sing about the name of Jesus. Chains fall, fear bows. Jesus changes everything and we know this and why are we still struggling with things why do we still feel slaves to certain things when we're when we're testifying about the truth of Jesus we either are just singing a song and we don't really believe it or we haven't done these three things we haven't repented we haven't willingly turned away from what keeps us captive if you are in chains if you are in chains if you are continuously falling into that same sin and you're giving into it you can walk away from it you can repent from it And then when you walk with the Holy Spirit and you seek the Holy Spirit daily and you fill your life with the Holy Spirit, you will be walking in the Spirit and not the flesh. And the Spirit will produce a self-control that will allow you to resist. James says, resist the devil and he will flee. I want all of my brothers, I want all of my sisters in Christ who have already been granted the power of freedom to know that they are free. You don't, you don't have to lose every battle, church. You don't have to lose every battle. And I believe that this message was for somebody this morning because I know that so many of us are still dealing with the same things. I get prayer requests from some of you over the same, the same things that you've been dealing with. Same stuff. And I know this message is it's it's not easy it's kind of harsh and it's kind of like look you have the power to do it because the power is in you and you might be telling yourself no i i i I can't i can't do it it's too strong god is stronger god is stronger the holy spirit is more powerful then every mountain you confront every valley you go through my god is greater Stop giving power to the chains that don't even have locks on it anymore. You've been set free. 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 free. What would you do if you believed that? If you truly believed that I don't have to be a porn addict anymore. I don't have to be a drug addict anymore. I don't have to be in my depression anymore. I don't for so long because my God has freed me. You are free. And I hate it. I hate it that we have Christians who think they're not. 
discount the power of the cross. Repent if you need to repent. Turn away. Maintain self-control. And flee. When sin comes knocking at your door, I'm going to ask you to stand. reside in this in this body of, of flesh Lord your power the power of your Holy Spirit has taken over when we cling to you when we seek you when we walk in you my God I pray right now an outpouring of your spirit over every single person in this room if that's you this morning why don't you come up this morning I want you to come up to the altar and what we're going to do is we're going to ask God for one thing Holy Spirit fill me with more of you more of you more of you will kill the me more of your spirit will kill the flesh daily and I will be able to overcome every battle every struggle that I deal with I want more of you that's you this morning if you're saying Lord I need more of you I need more of you to eliminate my worry I need more of you to eliminate my doubt I need more of you my God to eliminate my anger this is for you this morning the enemy doesn't have you anymore Sin doesn't have you anymore. You belong to Jesus. You belong to my Heavenly Father. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.